0: Hey there, I'm Helen Ornelas, and I've been a life insurance, long-term care, and Medicare broker for over 20 years, helping thousands of clients during this time. I've come across all types of cases, questions, and calls from people who are in planning or in crisis and provided solutions. So welcome to the On Life podcast with Helen Ornelas. Listen, you know as well as I do that taking care of important things in life is motivating, empowering, and even inspirational. You're thinking, what does this look like? If you're a business owner, executive, or someone who wants to know, what do I need to know about life events, how to prepare, where can I get help, you're in the right place. These life events will be coming your way, and you will receive these phone calls from your family, siblings, in-laws, grandparents, business partners, and friends. What calls do you think are coming my way? Let's find out. I'll be sharing stories, solutions from me, my clients, providers of service, and others that can help you now or in the future. We have the toolbox here on Life, so if you're ready, let's get your toolbox loaded up. All right, this is Helen Ornelas with On Life with Helen, and I have Jay Johnson here, who I'm super excited for you to be introduced to. I met Jay, I want to say, maybe about eight or nine months ago through a mutual friend, Melinda. And I've been super excited to get him in front of my people. And he has graciously accepted speaking with SAHU, uh, the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters, at our upcoming Business Expo on July 28th. And so one of the reasons that uh, I felt this was a good time to get Jay here is so you can get a sneak peek of what he's going to be covering. And so, Jay, welcome. And why don't you share a little bit with us about who you are, what you do, and and your purpose in life?
1: Yeah. Hi, Helen, and thank you for having me. My name is Jay Johnson. As said, I am the CEO of COEUS Creative Group, one of the co-founders of the Behavioral Elements Program. My passion is for helping people and organizations to develop their behaviors And the cultures that they want to work in. So I really focus on behavioral intelligence as something, as a tool for people to be able to explain existing behaviors, predict future behaviors, influence other people's behaviors, and then manage and control our own behaviors. And that's really the core of everything that I do.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I know that was one of the reasons why I was excited to hook up with you, to just learn. How more, how I affect people and, and how to kind of do better when I show up every day. And I know that we've had a few conversations about that. But most importantly, I know our business owners today are really struggling with attracting talent, keeping talent, and just adjusting all of the, you know, working from home, not working from home, kids. I mean, it's all just so brand new now for everybody. And one of the things that I think that we, uh, we're we going to talk about today is managing difficult conversations. Because I can imagine today almost every conversation with someone that you're working with is kind of falling um, into that category because everything's changed, right?
1: Yeah. And don't feel alone. We're working with a number of global corporations right now that are experiencing big challenges in communicating because not only are we finding ourselves having more computer-mediated communication, but also, you know, from that time, the trauma that was the two years that we went into, you know, quarantine and life got disrupted, communication is a skill. And if we're not practicing that skill, that skill can seriously deteriorate. And when we're looking at all of the different changes that we've experienced in the last two years, people have different expectations. They have different needs. They've identified different things that maybe were not of value to them prior to the pandemic, but are more of a priority to them now. Everything from work-life integration to uh, remote work in so much as, well, look how much easier it is for me to just be home and be home with family. Some people didn't want to be home and like, get right. me back to the office, right? <laughs> So, we have a number of different needs and it's, it's a difficult place for organizations to navigate the needs of all of those people. And thus difficult conversations are ultimately one of the skill sets that we really need to be developing right now.
0: So what would you say are some like maybe the top three difficult conversations that your clients are having and working and training on uh, so that they can be better communicating their needs and and then listening and understanding what the needs are of their partners, uh, business partners, uh, employees, and key personnel.
1: Yeah. One of the biggest ones, and this is again, kind of across the board. So we're working with companies right now like Nikon and Ford performance evaluations. Mm -hmm. That is one of the biggest conversations managers are having to have different conversations some of them positive but also, you know, offering corrective feedback. And that can be really scary if you're right. not developing that skill set. It's like, oh, am I going to upset the person? Are they going to, you know, are they going to retaliate against me? All these fears start to come out about how we're going to navigate those types of conversations. Is it going to make the behavior changes that we really need to see and, and that we want? So performance evaluations would be one of those big places that I would say across industries, people are struggling with those difficult conversations.
0: It's always been a difficult conversation, right? It's never been, I mean, even when it's good news, you you know, you don't know if you're meeting the the, the other person's expectation of what they're expecting, but in this resignation, great resignation period I mean, literally anything you say could be the big like finger and I'll see you later, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: well, and that's the danger. That's both, a you know, it's a benefit and a danger. And when we think about even something like the great resignation, one of the things that I've started to incorporate into my talks that I don't think a lot of people are really taking consideration of is, The age of the workers that are leaving in droves or that are resigning from their positions and moving on, those workers experienced the Great Recession back in 2008. And they saw companies that were not necessarily loyal to their workforce. They couldn't be. So they saw their parents, they saw themselves maybe at an early age get let go from an organization. Now we fast forward 14 years later and we look at some of the Great Resignation as maybe you know, pandemic related, but I think it actually goes way back and I think it goes to that sort of, okay, over the last 14 years, I've been unhappy and a company was very easily able to cut me or cut my parents previously. Why should I have that kind of loyalty now? And you're right. Certain triggers or different things, whether it's internal and, you know, some they're not having, you know, they're learning or they're not having their ability to bond, whether those drives are being filled, they might leave and go find a different place that they can. Or maybe they're not growing. Maybe they're not winning or, you know, acquiring as much as they could. Well, there's a lot of opportunities out there now. So that can be one of the big challenges too, is trying to identify what are people's motivations and being able to communicate effectively to those.
0: So when you start working with employers and business owners on this topic, what does that look like? So if you could give us just a, a snippet of, of your process so that we can better understand that, wow, there really can be a solution here and I don't need to be on the defense all the time. I can come to the table now a little bit more relaxed and with maybe a better information or solutions.
1: Yeah, so we always start from that behavioral side. And part of the reason we start with behaviors, because we believe that behaviors a choice, you can have thoughts, and you can have feelings and you can choose what behavior you want to, you know, exhibit from those. So one of the things that we designed and one of the things I had mentioned, I'm a co-founder of the Behavioral Elements Program, that's actually a behavioral assessment that's built off of Paul Lawrence and Noria's work on the drives of behavior. So when we start working with an organization, we actually provide a behavioral assessment that helps us to understand the four core drives every human being has, and it essentially measures it can help you understand better how the person communicates or how we communicate how we make decisions how we work in teams how we are what our working styles might be everything to what are things that really frustrate us or make us angry those drives ultimately tell the behavioral tale so When we work with an organization, we help them to understand what is driving those micro behaviors. Because culture, like the big C culture of an organization, is the sum of all micro behaviors. So if we can understand the micro behaviors and adjust the micro behaviors, it has an impact like a ripple in a pond to the larger culture. So we start with that behavioral assessment. We help people to understand how they communicate, how they make decisions, what those Underlying motivations and drives are. And that's where we start to transition and say, okay, now we can look and we have a really big challenge with coming to consensus. We have a big challenge with arguments or difficult people on the work floor. Now we can apply that behavioral knowledge to an applicable skill to actually have them start changing behaviors the very next day at the office. And that's really what's kind of made us successful in that space.
0: So I know sometimes you know, you and I have been around a very long time and have gone through a lot of different processes. And I will tell you, I've learned over the time how I have impacted a work environment. For those of you that know me, you know I could be a little bit like roadkill from time to time. But I've learned to to not be in that place anymore, and how it affects other people. So very grateful for all of the training that I've experienced in my career. How in this environment? Can you pull all of this together when we're not in the office and, or maybe somewhere in the office and somewhere in Zoom? How do you address those behaviors in this new world once you kind of go through that analysis? Because you can't, you usually don't get everyone in a meeting room anymore like you used to, right?
1: Yeah. So a number of different tools, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into something that you said, Helen. Oh maybe. yeah, go
0: ahead. Yeah, it I, totally I'm game.
1: Triggered, It triggered a thought. Um, it triggered a thought where you said, you know, you're thankful for the training. That's that's actually, I mean, a big part of the reason why I started to study behavioral science was because I needed to understand why I was the way that I was. And I'm gonna I'll share a funny pandemic story. So uh, I taught my 10-year-old nephew how to play chess. I have the behavioral drive of acquired. That's my strongest drive, which is the fire elements and our behavioral elements, which means. I never let them win. If you're gonna beat me, kid, you gotta come at me hard. Oh gosh, right? right? I competitor through and through. I was a hockey player, I was a mixed martial artist, I was a competitive debater. That's what put me through college. (laughs) So I'm playing chess with my nephew, and I'm not paying attention. I'm playing on my phone. Great commercial for don't distracted, be distracted by your phone and do anything else. I moved my chess piece, and the moment I moved it, I knew it was a mistake. I took my hand off it. I knew it was a mistake. And I was like, oh no. So I'm like trying to use my behavioral science background. I'm like, all right, don't show, don't don't give any body language or whatever else. Well, my nephew sees it and he moves his piece into position. And immediately my hands started to sweat. Oh my, my heart God. starts <laughs> to race. These thoughts start coming in. What if I just bump the table?
0: Oh gosh. now,
1: if this was a younger Jay Johnson absent training, absent knowing what my behavioral drives are, any of those behaviors could have been real. Instead, I looked across the table and I said, Nice move, get up. You might have me there. And I activated a different drive. I chose a different behavioral path. Thankfully, he screwed up and I ended up winning anyways, but that's oh, not the, moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story, Helen, is I agree with you that training, that development, has helped me to become the person that I want to be. And that's something where I think a lot of people can feel some inspiration is we have the ability and the power to change our behaviors. Even if we have those thoughts or feelings, we can still change. But to answer your question, in this kind of hybrid environment, it's a lot about being able to connect with people where they're at. So utilizing tools such as Zoom, utilizing WebEx. So right now we're doing, we're doing trainings pretty regularly in India, which is kind of cool because, well, I wouldn't normally just be able to right, hop on a right. plane and fly out to India, you know, three or four times a month. But we're able to do that via computer mediated communication. Some of the key things that we utilize is we have, I don't want to call it a requirement. So like in our own company. We require, quote, I'm giving you the air quote here, require people to keep their cameras on as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because while we can still hear each other, you know, a lot of times I, I've gone into meetings or organizations where everybody has a you know a blank screen or just their letters on their screen. And there's a loss of communication that occurs when we're not able to see expressions and we're not able to see that somebody's engaged. We're just kind of looking into that ocean. What we've found is when we even encourage, maybe not even require, encourage active engagement via video communication, connectedness actually starts to increase. Belonging increases, inclusivity increases, people are more engaged, meetings go shorter because it's not that silence and that waiting and so on and so forth with the black screen, we see each other And we have an obligation then to be with each other and respond to each other. So small little behavioral tweaks can have a huge impact on creating those connections, whether it's in a hybrid environment, whether you're face-to-face or whether you have a remote team and an on-site team, all of those different places. The technologies help uh, fill some of those gaps if we're using the technology to its highest degree.
0: So it sounds like you're pretty comfortable in this new environment and having this training be successful, whether you're all in the office, some in the office, some remote. And so I'm happy to hear that because I think a lot of training is needed now as we kind of move through, because I don't think things are ever going to go back to what we consider normal, right? right? I think working this way is here to stay. I am a big fan of it. I have... Always been a big fan of people working in a way that makes them most comfortable. Because, you know, some people can get up at five and get a full day work by one or two o'clock and be done, right? And not yeah. wait to clock in at eight and be done at five and, you know, and that whole deal. So excited to hear that. So other than let's see, I asked you uh for uh three examples. What are some of the other topics that have been coming up? We talked about the review. And then, you know, just being training on Zoom that everybody shows their faces and and participate fully. So what other things are you experiencing uh, with your clients and corporations that are working with you?
1: Yeah. So the other two big ones, performance reviews was kind of the one, the major one, I think. But other two big ones are burnout. That Mm -hmm. is a huge one and a lot of difficult conversations. And related to it, but still different, is questions of engagement and uh, being able to have some difficult conversations. And I'll use the for instance of, you know, the decision of big companies right now, whether we go back to the office or whether we remain virtual. One of the reasons that a lot of companies have said we want to go back to the office is they feel that engagement is down. Ironically enough, a lot of those companies also have the highest profits that they've ever had during virtual working. But neither here nor there. The difficult conversation often comes from having the conversations with managers that absolutely must have everybody back in the office five days a week, and the employees that say absolutely not, it's not happening, and we'll leave. That's a huge question, but getting into a difficult conversation about what does it mean to be engaged? What does it mean to be productive? What does it mean to navigate sort of that work-life integration? So that engagement question has been a very difficult conversation amongst executives and organizations and the communication that then filters down for The frontline employee to that manager, to that supervisor, to that director, to that executive. And that can be something that's a, a huge challenge. The burnout space is one of being able to actually being able to communicate to people as people and recognizing that, yes, we just underwent a global trauma for a number of years and how people how they get their energy or how their energy has been depleted and not finding the spaces to re instill that energy into them has created a lot of difficult conversations about how people feel about their work, you know, and in burnout, cynicism and exhaustion, emotional depletion, fractured and broken relationships can come from that space because of the way that we are, in our sort of like behavioral backgrounds, right? That intense feeling transfers out to everyone else and it can have a huge impact on culture.
0: Yeah, I think burnout is something that we used to call maybe a midlife crisis back in the day, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. but yeah, but now, I mean, just surviving, just the, the total chaos, whether it's personal in your country globally, I mean, for me, I'll be honest with you, I was I was hanging on until the Ukraine thing happened. And then that was the one that kind of broke my straw for about four or five weeks, because, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, okay, you know, get through this, get through that. You know, and I told my husband, you know, like the only thing that's left is aliens landing and uh, eating us all for breakfast. You know what I mean? Like, there's, (laughs) there's really nothing left. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, you know, you hear a lot right now in social media commercials about mental health, right? Mm -hmm. And that is kind of attached to the burnout thing. And how do you answer that question when someone is feeling burned out? and they feel really guilty for asking for like a day off just to sit in the chair and suck your thumb, right? Like, how do you work with employers to identify and understand that this is really a, a, maybe a need right now? Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
1: It's a great question. So when we think of burnout, the way that we often communicate burnout is it's either you're burned out or you're not. And the reality is, is burnout is a continuum. And we don't just all of a sudden one day wake up and we're like, okay, I'm burned out today. It is continued emotional exhaustion and depletion, right? So it's this, this time frame that we've done or that we've been in that creates that, okay, it's now way too far. And one of the things that we work with a lot of healthcare companies, a lot of actually not even healthcare at this point in time, that was who started the burnout sessions that we were doing, but it's really everywhere at this point. What we start out with is helping them to understand and measure where people are at on that burnout continuum, because maybe they're not fully in burnout mode right now, but they could be trending that way. So starting to have conversations about, okay, what is the reality? We know what some of the triggers are. Excessive workloads, lack of time, that pile of of paper that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger on your desk, not having enough workers and so on and so forth. So what we actually work with companies to do is open up real conversations and start exploring simple things like uh, weekly check-ins can be a great space for a company to actually be able to diagnose the burnout that's occurring and where it's at on that continuum. So diagnosing it, being able to recognize some of the signs of burnout to start off with, and then helping them facilitate difficult conversations of, okay, I'm noticing that Jay is feeling really burned out, or he's at least demonstrating the behaviors of burnout. How do I approach Jay about this? Because I don't want to go to Jay and be like, Jay, you seem burned out and you're sucking at your job right now, right? We don't want to have that conversation. (laughs) It's more about exploring, being curious, having some of those questions in the bank, being able to draw that information out from Jay, what his experience is.
0: Yeah, you almost have to start with either business owners or executives, because they have to recognize where they are right on that uh, spectrum. Because if you're like already kind of on that road or coming to the end, how do you help manage other people that are in that same place? One of the things that I think would be, this is such a great topic. For those of us who are in sales and working with business owners that are on this trajectory of of being burned out, I've noticed like some of them are super grumpy. You know, you get them, In like, you better get what you need to say to them in about three or four minutes. Otherwise, they're like either checked out or moving on. And so this is a really good topic, too, when you're in sales, which is kind of, you know, probably be part of our conversation for the expo that's coming up. Even as a a business owner salesperson reaching out to other potential clients, how do I recognize where somebody is and how can I best communicate with them?
1: What you said is so important for business owners and leaders because a lot of times when you're in a leadership position, a management position, or even you're the owner, we have a very difficult time admitting that maybe I am experiencing burnout. So we kind of push it away or we push it down where we ignore the signs or, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm burned out. I just have to get this done. I've got to do this. And I will tell you one of the most freeing moments of my career was about a year ago when I went to my team and I said team I'm going to be perfectly honest transparent and vulnerable with you I am experiencing burnout right now I've never said that in the 14 years of being a business owner I need help I'm not sure what help I need but can we have a conversation about this wow and like the moment I said that I'm not joking like I felt freed I felt so much better even just being able to communicate because they looked to me and rather than looking at it as a weakness, my team rallied around me. They were, my gosh, you know, we, we experienced that You've been picking us up for the last year and so on and so forth. We just thought you were invincible. No, I'm not. Being able to even just openly have that conversation as a leader and executive is not only freeing, but it also builds trust. And while it may appear to show that vulnerability could be a weakness, it's not. It connects you to people so much more powerfully. So being able to recognize it in ourselves and when we're there, because communication and human behavior, we feed off of each other. They're mere neurons in our brain. Like you can walk into a room, two people have been arguing. You didn't even have to hear it. You know they were arguing. (laughs) (laughs) right? We can sense those things around us because of the way that our bodies react and move and everything else. So what I would be looking for in those signs of burnout is how quickly are they delivering their from a sales perspective? When we do a lot, when we do sales work, we look for different communication patterns. So if I see somebody who's communicating very quick, short, tone high, maybe high pitch, I know that there's some anxiety or some frustration that's behind that. If I hear them and they're labeling or or numbering their, well, first it's going to be this and then it's going to be this and then it's going to be this. I know that their brain is actually in a structural process. So I'm going to respond and react to that with, well, first we're going to do this. And the second step looks like this and I'll match that kind of communication style. If I see them disengage or pull back or lean forward and furrow their brow, looking for some of those body language signs or any of those pieces, I'm going to generally mirror some of that to an extent in order to be able to, well, mirror it if it's positive and then obviously de-escalate it if right. I see a little bit more aggressive. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be looking for. Communication styles, patterns, Um, some of those body triggers that are going to give us that indication of high anxiety, frustration, etc. And then utilizing some of those difficult conversation skills to be able to de-escalate and be able to pull that back.
0: Wow. So I know that we're kind of coming to the end of the, the episode here, but I do want to just reiterate that you're going to be the keynote speaker at the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriter Biz Expo And at the end of that, there will be some things that you're going to make available to everybody who attends. But just to kind of confirm right now, you do offer solutions for business owners and individual coaching and and provide small, medium, large companies with some of this consulting and answers to some of these problems that businesses are, are having these days, correct?
1: Yeah. So we have a wide variety of different offerings, everything from individual executive coaching to high-performance team coaching, division coaching, and all the way to organizational training. So we're doing a rollout right now with 146 employees across North America, doing the assessment, giving them the data, the organizational data from those assessments. That's helping them drive new decisions, new policies, and everything else. So Everything from the individual all the way up to the macro cultural approach of training and development, we're providing those solutions.
0: That's fantastic. Is there any closing message that you have for our audience that you would like to share?
1: I am super excited to be speaking at the expo. I literally can't wait. And I'm hoping to get to meet so many of you and connect with you. I'm on LinkedIn and a number of other platforms. So if you want to learn a little bit more about me before I see you at the expo, please connect with me. But thank you so much, Helen. I really appreciate you having me here today and for the amazing conversation with you.
0: Absolutely. All right. That's going to be the end of our show. This is On Life with Helen, and we'll be talking with you soon. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of On Life with Helen Ornelas podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share with a friend. And if you haven't already subscribed, rated, and reviewed on your favorite podcast player, please do. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly, Helen at Ornelasinsurance.com, H-E-L-E-N at O-R-N-E-L-L-A-S insurance.com. In closing, this podcast is dedicated to all who believe in preparing for the future and beyond.